You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. John Waters has this amazing quote about their hair was perfect, but their world was messed up. <laughs> right, right. You know, right, and it, yeah. it is kind of this cool metaphor for like everyone trying so hard to put every hair in place when yes. in the 60s it was so turbulent, the the whole world was falling apart, you know? Yep. It makes me wonder what the hairstyles are going to be in 2021. <laughs> Listen. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we're talking about Hairspray with the lovely, talented, and best Mimi Marquez I've ever seen in my entire life. It's Sabrina Sloan. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi, Sabrina. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so to just kind of catch everybody up. Back in the day, I did a a production of Rent in my non-union days and was blessed enough to be placed on a scaffolding in the blocking to watch you perform out tonight every single performance. And what a freaking joy. What a pleasure. Oh, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. That was such a special, special, special show to me. That was a great Christmas. It was, right? It was a great Christmas. Now, you had already done Hairspray at that point. Yes. Okay, yes. so you had... <laughs> yes. The timeline. I'm, you know, I'm in the COVID yeah, no, timeline. Time. I can't... I don't know what... At what this point, what was 2019? Exactly. It was a decade ago. <laughs> exactly. So you were in Hairspray on Broadway. Yes. Then you went and did the national tour. Correct. And then, of course, you came and did Rent With Me. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> because your, your career exactly. hadn't gone no. to that point yet. <laughs> yeah, Hairspray, Hairspray was my Broadway debut. That's um, so amazing. Yeah, pretty shortly after college. Um, yeah. And I where did, did you go to college? I went to Northwestern University. Hey, yes, smart pants. Northwestern. That's what everybody always says. It's so funny. Yes, yeah. we're, pretty, we're pretty smart. We're pretty smart. Um, But yeah, there's a a lot of good actors that came out of there. And um, yeah, I moved to New York actually a week and a half after September 11th, which is crazy. Um, Now, that's the interesting thing about Hairspray is that it opened, what, like maybe a year right after 9-11? What I loved about moving there, I mean, my family was definitely like, no, you can't go now. No no way. Forget it. And um, I was like, no, I have this apartment in Brooklyn. I got a room. I'm going to. I'm going to do it. And um, I moved there and just the spirit of 
New York City. It's why it's my it's still my favorite place, and I I miss it all the time. The resilience of everybody there, and the way that they were picking up and getting back to life and Moving supporting on. one another, and yeah, and it wasn't at all you know the kind of like mean, angry <laughs> uh, community that people you know try to make New Yorkers out to be. It was in a, a community that embraced one another, that lifted each other up, and. I knew just like within the first week of being there, like this was, this is where I'm supposed to be. And uh, it was a a really cool place. And then um, I started temping and auditioning, Uh, auditioning the other day. I would clock out, take a lunch for two hours and go, you know, get in line (gasps) and do like, yeah, it was a great, it was a really great job. I don't even know if they do temp jobs like that. Total hustle. I, and that's how I ultimately booked Hairspray. I did one regional production of Children of Eden, which is, that's how I got my equity card, North Carolina Theater. And did then you play Eve or did you I, play? Yes, Eve Mamano. Yeah. Mm, I and then, see that. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's another good one. Another show. Yeah. And then I came back to New York and same thing, clocked in, clocked out. And one of those lunch breaks, they needed a really immediate replacement for the swing on Broadway just like a month after they'd opened. I went in and it was kind of like a couple hours. And the, I think the next day I got a call. It, it was, was a, one audition, it, it, and then I the next th- day you got a call? I feel like it was. I feel like maybe I had been... Yeah, because they weren't auditioning. They pretty much had the cast before. They had gone to Seattle. Well, and it also sounds like immediate replacement meant, like, immediately. Yeah, like, for, yeah. They we don't have someone time. someone in days, yes. And then from there, I literally learned just parts of the first act to get plugged into <gasps> for the role they needed, which was one of the Dynamites, Shayna, who had a knee issue, and they needed somebody on for her in at least in those scenes so i really didn't even learn the whole show it was a crazy process of learning it's like, like kind of a hodgepodge yes, puzzle piece exactly exactly so oh ultimately i learned the rest of her track but the first time i went on on the broadway stage was for like you know four numbers <laughs> that i had learned like in two to three days so it was it oh was madness gosh. but also i think once i did that i was like okay I've done it. I've like popped the cherry. I've been on stage and um, and now I'll learn the rest of it. And and the show is so cinematic and has so, it moves with such an incredible energy that yes. I think I would only want to do three scenes to, to Listen, begin yes, with. Yes, exactly. There is a lot to it. Uh, but it, it is. It's such a beautiful. I mean, like I can think back at the colors and like the the lights and those costumes. And it's a beautiful, beautiful face to see. Now, something that I don't think people realize is that one of the reasons that first national tours are such a big deal is because you go back into the rehearsal process with the creators. Right. It's as though you're rehearsing another opening on Broadway, but it's instead the tour going out. So you got to work with all of the creatives. Exactly. Yeah, that was something I missed out on the first time because I wasn't in the room putting the show up for the first time. And the second time around with the first national tour, I got to have Jack, Jerry, Mark, everybody there, you know, teaching. And it was still super fresh from them. It wasn't like their eighth version of the show or something they put up. It was still, you know, very important to them that especially it was going to start in Baltimore and taking it around the country. It was, it was really important that it was just as good as what was on Broadway. I learned a lot as an actor from Jack O'Brien, just from listening, just from being in the room Mm sometimes having to use a thesaurus to understand what he was saying after the fact because he's <laughs> he's how he speaks just in you're like wow what is that word yeah, okay. wow he's he's real he's smart so i went smart. to northwestern oh my but... gosh but oh yeah but everybody he's known for that he's just, just so eloquent but 
Yes, I learned so much from him. And then the energy of like Jerry and and Mark Jerry and Scott. Mitchell. And, yeah, Jerry Mitchell. Um, incredible. Who I go on to do, you know, two more shows with him. It was insane. I don't think I recognized the legends that I was with in in that moment, but I knew I was I knew it was important. I knew I needed to take it all in being in that room with those people. That's so cool. Yeah. So Hairspray was film first and foremost. Right. By John Waters, legendary right. subversive filmmaker, independent filmmaker. Yeah. That came out in 1988. Right. Which is actually a pretty quick turnaround. When you think that like it was a movie, movie? then a stage musical, yes. then a movie musical, a movie. then a TV musical uh, special. Like, right. It, right. It's had a very short life, and yet in its short amount of time, it's lived hard. That's so true. And it speaks to, obviously, the the relevance of the issues that it tackles and the constant sort of optimism that we need (laughs) in our faces regarding those issues because, you know, they're still so present. Which is fascinating for a filmmaker like John Waters, who has spent his career kind of delving into the grotesque. Right. (laughs) You know, infamously, he has this film called Pink Flamingos where... Divine eats dog poop on camera, you know, just like the most disgusting things that he can put on camera. He he wanted to explore that. That's just part of his personality. It's part of his aesthetic. And we love him for it. But then in the late 80s, he comes out with Hairspray, which honestly is kind of family friendly in a weird way. Right, right. And I think when it came out, uh, he said that one of his favorite reviews was a movie that any family could enjoy, whether you're in the Midwest or a part of the Manson clan. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Which he was so felt true. very How proud of. How do you do of. that? Yeah. I yeah. Oh, no absolutely. Idea. But even when you watch that old movie, like Ricky Lake, you know, famous right. talk show host Ricky Lake, right. who played Tracy Turnblad, is like super greasy. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> but there's this like gritty aspect of what he was always trying to capture as a filmmaker. Yeah. And yet with the importance that dance makes in the story, the importance of music and the, and the time period, it really does feel like the perfect vehicle for a musical. Yeah. Enter producer Margot Lyon, I believe is yes. her name. And she was at home just like watching films watched hairspray and was like ding yep. ding ding she's from baltimore is she really yeah just oh, like yeah. john waters she's from, yes she's from baltimore and i think of this in terms of hamilton too with like ron chernoff and i've talked to him like the how much the writers are involved he, i think that he was able to like step in and veto and be like no no mm-hmm. absolutely That's not, not what whatever but like the satire is still there like there's parts of it the, of the grit that are still there there's some like throws to like some nasty <laughs> things where you're like well right at the top when she's like here's the neighborhood flasher yes who, exactly you know what i mean right rest, from that exactly. we're like oh, okay we're still in john waters but then i think as with any musical when you add the musical element you kind of elevate the emotions and the the honesty of the characters exactly and this show hairspray is filled with characters who are revealing their inner life within this weird yep. world and it's so enjoyable exactly I want to read a quote from John Waters about the musical. He says, I used to hate musical comedy, but Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman's score and lyrics for Hairspray have turned me into a real show tune queen. 
Aww. Listening to these feel-good numbers about rats, flashers, hickeys, ratted hair, and checkerboard chicks turns me into a happy Walt Disney on hallucinogenics, yeah. hoping whole busloads of twisted Broadway tourists go to the theater, abandon their diets, and feel sexy about it. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't that a great quote? Oh my gosh, so good. So Margot gets John Waters' A-OK. Right. Enter Mark Shaman. Now... If anybody has any favorite moment in cinema that includes some sort of ode to 60s music, uh-huh. <laughs> $200 says it's written by Mark Seamus behind it. That's so true. That is so, so true. Everything and- from I Put a Spell on You from Hocus Pocus yes. to You Don't Own Me from First Wives Club. Obviously, he yes. has a connection with Bette Midler. Everything in Sister Act. Sister Act. <laughs> All of it. Exactly. It's all Mark Shaman. He was born to make that music. And like when I did this show and then I went on to do, you know, like Motown and I feel like I belong in the 60s too. Like that's just my, that's my groove. And I know that it's absolutely his. It's just so, it's so, so great. There's no one else who could have written the score for Hairspray. No way. John Waters is so specific about this story taking place in 1962. Yes. Right? Not yes. 63, not 61, 62. And to have somebody like Mark Shaman who knows that era so well, yep. it's just brilliant. Now, he and his songwriting partner, Scott Whitman, were the right. ones who did the score. They yeah. also did Catch Me If You Can, which yes. you did on Broadway I as did. well. Yes, yes. And that was another unique experience because that was the first time I was watching them create and change and mold a piece from the beginning. And they were the cream of the crop, Broadway. Sure. They had a, their hands in a bunch of different things. They were doing, what's the show that they did? TV show. Um, oh, Smash. About Broadway Smash. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of it. Um, they were doing that. Like, simultaneously, there was so much going on. But just seeing that process of how numbers would get written and then scratched and then, you know, completely changed. Our whole stanzas, you know, were new lyrics and everything they did was fantastic. But just watching how they how they went through that process was really awesome. That score is phenomenal. And it's the show great. is so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> it's weird. But the songs are phenomenal. The songs are so great. And that's what I remember. Like, I remember seeing Doctor's Orders and, like, throwing back to Without Love. I'm like, oh, this, oh, this feels. This is what it feels like. the same wheelhouse. This is the mute. This is the vibe. Like, Can I ask which solo was yours in Doctor's Orders? I was. Ah, baby, don't stop. Sing on I got the cross and I got the shit and I'm ready. <laughs> that one. I just blushed. That was such, it was such a fun show. That show was um, all about that female ensemble as far as I'm really, concerned. You ladies were, slayed. It was like divas from all the way down. It was great. Where do we start talking about? I don't know. <laughs> I was just Catch talking me? about Catch Me But yes, can. yes, Catch Me If You Can. But we were talking about Mark being the 60s Yeah, and uh, I mean, genius. hello, 60s influence as yeah. well in there. Yeah, exactly, completely. And but what's cool about Hairspray is that he included like the Motown sound, which is late later 60s, for some of these characters like mm-hmm. Tracy, Seaweed, who were the forward thinkers. So they were like ahead there. of their time. Exactly. So they, yeah, it like matched that sort of Motown sound to those characters we're gonna keep the conversation about white men going and uh bring <laughs> coming up next <laughs> coming up next we got mark o'donnell and thomas Meehan. Oh, yeah. now they wrote the book together right. thomas Meehan. people are like who's that you ready he wrote annie annie 
Last he wrote the, the book for Annie, the book yeah. for the producers, and the yeah. book for Hairspray, and won Tony's for all of them. All that of them. is a career. Boom, boom, boom. That's enough. That's all you got to do, really. Seriously. Mark oh, O'Donnell also did some great work. <laughs> Fantastic work. It is. Yes. It's, a, it's an amazing no. book. And um, and I don't know who did what in it or who focused right. on what, but yeah. it, it turned out really, really great. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of these people have passed on. I know. It's crazy. I mean, Jack O'Brien's now going to be in his in his 80s. But this 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 lives on. I mean, this is what's it, so, that's what's it will so great. be a testament it, to it will their live talent. Forever. My kids haven't seen the stage version of Annie. I don't even know how close is that to the to the movie. Like some of those Which lines one? are. It, I mean, it kind of the depends. original movie. So stage musical seventy yes. seven. Then uh, Carol Burnett. Yes. So that's what I'm saying. Isn't that pretty close to what the stage? Not at not all. Not at all. Okay, never mind. So just kidding. If you do the Disney Plus uh, Audra McDonald Annie, that's more. That's, that's actually that's pretty accurate. Pretty close. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. Now, I believe that Margot wanted Rob Marshall to be the director and choreographer of Hairspray. Of course, he was working on the film version of Chicago at the time, so he turned it down, which is why they then got Jack O'Brien. And I promise that's the last white guy we'll talk about. <laughs> okay, good luck. <laughs> this is how it goes. But between the moment where Margot gets the idea and then the show opens on Broadway, it's basically two years. It's yeah. not a long time. Not a long time. For Catch Me, it was like five years. And I think like oh, um, wow. you think of how easily this kind of flowed out of him. It was it was all the right people all on the same page. At the right time. Yeah. Pretty unique. When it opens on Broadway, it's met with glowing reviews, huge smash. It runs for, I think, 2,300 performances. I mean, they recoup their initial investment, I think, in like six to eight months. It's a huge hit both artistically and financially. Tony Awards come around. It really sweeps in many regards. That season also included Amour, which is a beautiful little flop of a show that probably shouldn't have been on Broadway. Uh, A Year with Frog and Toad, which is a beautiful little show for children. Um, And then Moving Out, which is a beautiful big show of Twyla Tharp choreography to Billy Joel music. So a really unusual season of theater and Hairspray just felt, I think, immediately like the new classic. This is this is the one. So it it wins most of the awards except for choreography because that was a Twyla win. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest is history. Unbelievable. It's crazy to think it was that long ago. <laughs> Speaking of which, you got kids. Tell me about <laughs> yeah, it. Was a lifetime ago. <laughs> I do. I do. I have two kids. Um, That's so amazing. And do you have to teach them currently at home? Um, They are on Zooms. The little one is doing a hybrid um, where she's just started to go in for a few hours. But my older one is, yeah, totally distance learning right now. Um, we'll see what happens there's silver linings to all of it. I mean, it's... I mean, this is bonding time in a yes, way that for sure. many families have never been able to experience. For so. sure. I mean, I got to be home with them for my young, their younger years, like the first two years at least. For the, Well, no, I, I jumped into Catch Me If I Can if, when my son was two months old. You had just had a baby two months yes. before you so did Catch Me? So let me tell me. you something about a Jerry Mitchell show <laughs> post-pregnancy. That was... <laughs> Everything I needed for <laughs> getting back like, in shape. The bod is back. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. What? Pregnancy, <laughs> no big deal. 
You just got to be on the Jerry Mich- Mitchell choreo a plan. He is plan. aerobic, if nothing else. He is aerobic. Peter Matthew Smith, who was in the original Broadway cast, too, he played Brad, one of the nicest kids. Oh, yes. And um, he ended up being our king in Hamilton on the, the first tour that was on the Angelica tour. So we one day caught ourselves trying to re, uh, recreate You Can't Stop the Beat backstage. <laughs> no Him in his king costume and me in Angelica gear. And that was funny. It was pretty funny. But what's funny is when I was just listening to the soundtrack over the last couple of days, and I can completely remember almost all the choreography, which I I didn't. Yes, it was insane. I was like, oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so watching Angelica, watching... I remember that night. What is it yes, called? Satisfied. satisfied. Thank mm-hmm. you. My gosh. How embarrassing. Okay. Um, watching Satisfied, I feel like I would wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat realizing that I needed to do that rap <laughs> twice the next day. You know what right, I mean? Right, 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 right. Is yeah. that one of those things where it just gets in your muscle memory as well? Or Absolutely. Like... And what happens with Hamilton music is that you will sometimes go ahead lyrically in, in it because it's such a, oh. so you'll be already jumping ahead and then you'll like attach that to the word that you're actually trying to say. And so you're like, oh God. And then you have to just like <laughs> slow down and, and stay in the moment. It, but then my easy one where I'm just like reading the, a letter, you cannot think too hard, but you also cannot not think <laughs> about it. Don't because tune if out. You veer, if you veer like for the second before I came out, I was like definitely maybe like going through a grocery list or like, okay, sure. Like that. And you come out and I just completely You were gone. Blanked. I went ah. to the white room. I went to the white room. That has never, ever happened to me. I was like, okay, well, it's had to happen at some point and just couldn't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, just it felt like an eternity. And it was like, <sighs> I turn into the Swedish chef. I don't know why. But (laughs) instead of like just not saying anything, I end up going like. (laughs) (laughs) That also works. Not great. My friend did that as Eliza too. She just. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just scat through it. Okay. And the audience just be like, oh, I feel like. It's kind of amazing. We we have, I think, singers like Sia or Ariana Grande to thank for, you know, <laughs> we can just kind of mumble our way through things exactly. and people are like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Um, how fun. Okay, I could literally Sorry. talk about it. Sorry, no, I could. But what an amazing career you continue to have, and oh. uh, I can't wait to see you on stage again. Yes, well, you'll definitely come when we're when we're back here. Um, <laughs> we will make sure. Um, that's so sweet. Okay, congratulations on your family. Now Thank let's go so through much. the show. Okay, here we go. So the show begins <laughs> by introducing us to Baltimore, which yes. Yes. is such an interesting place. Such you said that. <laughs> You said that you opened the show in Baltimore. I've yeah. never been, but how cool that you got to do yes. Good Morning Baltimore in Baltimore. In Baltimore. Yes, absolutely. My best, my very best friend from college is from Baltimore. So she has kind of like can tell me these stories about how Baltimore is. Yeah. But the only thing I know about Baltimore is that two of my friends while being on tour have been mugged at yeah, the theater. Yeah, likely. Likely. Very likely. I feel it's, like every theater in the country, though, is th- it's like you're in the downtown. It's the Tenderloin. It's Skid Row. It's wherever you are. 
you don't want to be around the theater too long after you get out of there. It's the nature of where they are. But yeah, Baltimore is... It's this interesting place where it has a rural sensibility, and yet it's 100% a big city. Yeah, totally. Right. So it's the perfect setting for this show where a lot of social clashing that is so indicative of the 1960s all comes to a head. It's also known as being a city that is neither in the South nor in the North. Totally. It completely feels like you could be in the South and you're like, why? (laughs) I thought I was, isn't DC just around? But right. But you're right. It's like, that's exactly what it is. The show opens with the, with this big number all about Baltimore that's kind of celebrating the dichotomy of, you know, right. everything that we're talking about here and doing it from a really loving place, which is what I always aim to do. I never want to criticize something without also giving a little bit of love. Yeah. And uh, and this opening number absolutely does that. Totally. Now we meet our heroine Tracy, Tracy Turnblad, the girl whose hair is as big as her figure, right? And not only that, I'm sorry that I focused on the outer shell, but also her spirit and fire is as big as either of those things, too. Definitely. Confident, optimistic. And what an incredible character to have in our musical theater landscape. Yeah. I think she's a real hero for anybody who watches the show. Right from the get-go, we trust her intentions. We know what she wants from life, and it's to spread literally sunshine wherever she goes. Yes, yes. Uh, the next thing that we see is a television show. There is so much, like, split-screen action that happens mm-hmm, in Hairspray, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, Very where true. there will be somebody in a living room watching the television show, and then on the other side of the stage, we see the actual television yeah. show. Yeah. In this case, it's the Corny Collins—what's the full name? Corny uh, Collins dance hullabaloo TV experience. <laughs> I was like that. It's not just the Corny Collins show. No, I guess you're right. There's, it is I know just there's that. probably something else. It's probably no. Else. I think so you're right. Collins it is show. just the Corny Collins show. But yeah, based on the Buddy Dean show, I think, and it's kind of what yes, they. Yes, way to pull out that history. Yeah, when they were segregated, and they had they, and I think what happened in reality and the non-hairspray world was that they refused to integrate the show. And so they just went off the air. Really? That was the and end the, of the show? Was because it. They, they were like, nope, not happening. We would rather die. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> basically. <laughs> basically. We'd rather call it quits. So, wow. um, yeah. So this, I think, was kind of like the what if version. What if they saw the light? What if? Yeah, exactly. It, it also is a really interesting phenomenon. I know that it existed in Philadelphia as well, where there would be these local TV shows that would have local kids on to dance to music. And we think of them as dance shows, but they were always headed up by a DJ. And so Uh it was more of like a way to experience music on television and see kids dancing to it and what are the latest moves. And sometimes they went national. In the case of American Bandstand... It started out as just a local show and then got picked up and they replaced the original host who I guess had um, some teen pornography issues. Oh, yeah, that'll with, get you. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then they put Dick Clark in. So like yeah, oh. predating MTV, all of that sort of thing. Right. So right. Tracy and her best friend Penny... Penny Pingleton, the alliterations in this show. I know. Come on. They, like every girl, are in love with one of the heartthrobs by Link the name who's named Link Larkin. Larkin. Yes, Link Larkin. There it is, LL. Yes. 
And then the most popular girl on the show is <laughs> Amber Von Tussle. Mean girl. Mean girl. Totally mean girl. It also just so happens that her mom, Velma Von Tussle, mm-hmm. is the kind of the producer. Right. Producer of the show. Of the whole thing. She runs it all. Now, from what I understand, they very specifically wanted to make sure that Tracy was the only kid in the bunch that has a dad. Which, when you think about it, it's true. That is Uh, true. The only, quote-unquote, nuclear family is Tracy's in terms of tradition. Right. And yet, within that tradition, you've got her dad, who owns a practical joke shop. Right. And then her mom is a man in drag. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so even though you've got this, like, really beautiful home life and marriage and family, there is something a little twisted. Yeah. Yeah. A little unconventional and a little queer, which I just, I love. I I do love love that. I love so much. No, I love it about this this show. And also, it's another thing that this being my first Broadway show coming, you know, shortly from college, from growing up in Orange County, (laughs) and (laughs) then moving to New York on my own, to be in this show that was full of queer folk on stage and off, and uh, just such an uh, amazingly diverse group was spectacular and just special to to be a part of. So from the outside looking in, yes, it was, you know, groundbreaking in that way, and then be in it too was, was really powerful. That's beautiful. Edna, who is Tracy's mom, is very traditional. (laughs) Like, she's very traditional blue-collared in that she's like, turn down that racket, I'm trying to do my ironing. Yes. But then at the same time, Penny's mom, who's like, don't listen to colored music. Right. Edna's the one who steps up and says, what are you talking about colored? The television's black and white. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I love that joke. That's so good. And then they they make sure to, to show... The nicest kids as kind of the dim-witted, ignorant, (laughs) racist, if you will, like, you know, Mm -hmm. kids that they, in in the lyrics of Pranicle. Oh, absolutely. These kids are celebrated because they're white and clean and like a toothpaste commercial. Right. Not for any other reason. It's only because they look that way. And Tracy is so wanting to be on the show because she loves dancing. Right. She has this vivacious energy that she wants to share with the world. And her mom, you know, who is also a big woman, in quotes, is is like, darling, you don't look like that. They're not going right. to let you on that show. And right. she's not trying to be mean. She's just like, this is the reality of the world we live yeah. in. And yeah. Tracy refuses to take that on as her reality. Right. It just so happens that one of those nicest kids, Brenda, shout out to my friend Cassie <laughs> Silva, who played her in, yes. in the movie. I love yes. Cassie. Oh, yeah. um, she is going on a small hiatus just about nine months. So she's not going to be on the show anymore, which means they're going to be holding auditions. And Tracy's right. like, I'm going. This is my chance. This. I'm going to do it. it. I love it. So she and her mom are getting into this fight. Right. Meanwhile, Penny is, you know, fighting with her mom because she's very controlling about right. what music she listens to, who she talks to, and when. Mm-hmm. And then Amber, mean girl, is also fighting with her mom. But it all leads to all three of these girls singing Mom, I'm a Big Girl Now. Right. Which is right. one of those oh, one of those so 60s good. songs where totally. the chord progression it just yes, immediately makes you yes, feel good. Exactly. I keep waiting. When I was playing it, I was like, oh, my daughter's going to love this song. <laughs> yeah, it's only so a matter good. of time. It's only a matter of time. 
After Mom, I'm a Big Girl Now, Tracy and Penny finally make it to the auditions for the show. Right. They're a little bit late because there was a stupid bus crash. And and she bumps into Link Larkin. They have this, like, moment where they meet eyes and all of a sudden she can hear the bells. Yes. Another great... Every song in this show is amazing, first of all. But also is probably related to a song that already exists. Exactly. And not exactly. from, like, a copying standpoint. No, but like an inspiration. Like Yeah, inspiration. That dream sequence is interrupted by mean Velma, mm-hmm. who rejects Tracy because she's too big. Right. And she laments at how the world is falling apart by <laughs> by talking about how she was uh, Miss Baltimore, Baltimore and not crabs. just... Miss <laughs> exactly. Baltimore Crabs. Which is the best lyric it's the best. choice ever. It's the best. When you were talking about being in Catch Me If You Can and how they took and threw out songs. Yeah. and yeah. Apparently they wrote two other songs for this moment for Velma, both of which were too mean to Tracy. Oh, wow. And so audiences didn't like it. And so instead they created this song about her talking about herself. And yes, she is mean, mean to Tracy, but the point of the song isn't to reject Tracy. It's to uplift herself as like this crazy Disney villain. Ah. Uh, Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. In addition to rejecting Tracy, she also rejects little Inez, right? Yes, right. At the end Which of I kind of, I was trying to remember exactly what she says to Tracy. Does she say? They start like kind of interrogating her and they're like, well, would you swim in an integrated oh, pool oh, yeah, as like the test? And she's right. like, absolutely. Integration yes, is and the new. that's what does it. Right. Yeah. That's what does it. Because then I was thinking about that scene. I was thinking whether Tracy, if she has a moment of like recognizing her privilege in that moment and being like, oh, actually, I could probably be on the show. Like, they might let me audition, but they won't even give this girl a chance to right. dance, right? For sure. Yeah. The next day, Tracy gets sent to detention because her hair's yes. too high, yes. right? Yes, And that's where she meets Seaweed, right? who's a black kid at school. I think on some level, I forgot that all of these kids go to school together. Yeah, yeah. You so know? they're at an integrated school. Right. Somehow. <laughs> and yet but, couldn't be more segregated because yes, all of absolutely. the black kids are at detention side, along with Tracy. Yep, yep. And he's like had it with detention. So he starts dancing. And right. Tracy, of course, being the danceaholic that she is, is like, wow, teach me that step. Yep. Which then leads me to this hot take. In Hairspray, Tracy is 100% culturally appropriating the black kids. Yes. However. But, however, she credits she gives the credit. She gives the credit to she them. She gives the credit. She's, she says, these are, the, these are the moves that my friend Seaweed taught me. I think that that is a really great example for us because she uses her privilege to let other people get to know this and then gives credit where credit's due. Right. That's like, you know, kind of that allyship that is the, the step that, you know, I think the show is pushing people towards. Like, it's not enough to, to just see it. You have to be able to... To stand up and, and, and say something. And, and, and yeah. yeah. I think that Tracy is also a bridge, you know, because sure. she's not just a white girl. She understands both sides of the equation. She obviously doesn't understand what it's like to be a black individual, but she knows right. what it's like to be ostracized for how totally. you look. Totally. And so she's able to bridge that gap. Yes. The thing is about being an ally is that there's a point when, for whatever reason, someone's going to be ostracized. Whether it's not, It's not just about the battle for 
whoever it is, for somebody whose body doesn't fit the mold, for somebody whose color doesn't fit the mold, for somebody whose sexuality doesn't fit the mold. Like we're, when you are standing up for one of those, you're standing up for all. Mm. Amen. The next day at the school, they're going to be having like their like a sophomore hop DJed by uh, Corny. Corny Collins himself. Right, right, right. And so Tracy's like, oh, well, now is I, even though I wasn't able to audition, if I can get him to see me doing these moves that I learned from Seaweed, I'm a sure win. Like, they, yep. how are they going to say no? Right. So that's exactly what happens. She shows up to the dance. They start all doing these amazing moves that they've all been practicing in detention. And she gets hired on the spot. So then when we next see the Courtney Collins show on television, you know, Penny. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Penny and Tracy's parents are watching on television and Tracy's the new addition. Which I think really blows Edna's mind, yeah. right? Because at this point, she she never thought that was possible. Right. Representation matters. Absolutely. And seeing that as a parent, too, you know, hoping and wishing for your child, but like always kind of being uncertain if the world would, would allow it to happen. <laughs> so I'm connecting with Edna on another level. <laughs> Who'd have thought? No, never. I love it. Uh, let's go ahead and skip to now Edna is receiving all of these calls from Tracy's fans, right, right? on right. their home phone. Yeah. And um, and one of them is Mr. Pinky, who is the owner of a plus-size dress shop. Yes. Who is, you know, kind of wanting them to be uh, their Instagrammable moments. Right. And so Tracy says, Mom, we got to go do this. We got to go get our makeovers from this guy. And she's like, absolutely not. Like... And what's sweet is that Edna has had dreams in her past, right? Right. She was going to be this fashion designer and then just kind of gave up and became a laundry. uh, Right. uh, (laughs) Whatever that job is. But she she's like, no, mom, everything's possible. Welcome to the 60s. Q number. Yes. Q number. Oh, my gosh. This number is so great. This number. And Um, this was a number where you got to shine. Yes. I mean, I remember... That's the one thing I do remember about my debut, just like the heart palpitations being in that box. Because you're literally in a poster box, like a, like you're a poster, <laughs> a live poster. Then you come out, woo! And you, um, and you, and you come things. to life. Yeah, and you come to life. But it's, um, that number is so much fun. So much fun. Um, well, and look, everybody loves a makeover. Yes! Right? Totally! A full makeover and a quick change and a quick... Yeah, exactly. So great. It was fantastic. Such a lovely, lovely, fun moment. The Welcome to the 60s kind of reprise, the riff-off. Yes. Was that added just for a scene change? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know which came first, but I do think that they needed to buy time, whether it was for Edna's change... Because, like, that is one of the most iconic moments of the show. It is. I mean, a lot of those things were added that I think the one that's not on the album, that's another good one, is the Shoshana Bean out of uh, Mama, I'm a Big Girl. Oh, that's right. So, I don't think, yeah, I don't think that's on the album. Stop, don't know, please. And then, and she would do this little. And that was Shoshana? Yeah, just a Shoshana full riff. Of course. Because you've got Shoshana on the stage. What are you not going to. We're going to use all of that. Yeah, we're going to do a scene change. How about we let. I mean, it was the cast was full of those folks. So it was like, yep, we're going to put that there and <laughs> sing whatever you want. What do you, uh, yep, that works. So after Welcome to the 60s, right. Tracy goes to the other side of town, right? Yes. Um, a platter party. My mom's hosting a platter party. <laughs> of uh, course. And, and that's where she goes. 
So she so she goes comes to, over, meets like yeah Inez, and she's like, oh, you're my favorite dancer on the Courtney Collins show. Oh, because we didn't even talk about Negro yeah, Day. Right, right. So uh, in you know the Courtney Collins show, it's all these white kids except for one day a week, which is called Negro Day. Right. In which it's the all of the black kids, and yes. that's actually Tracy's favorite day. Right. And the host of that day is Motormouth Maybell. Yes. Who yes. Uh, also speaks in rhyme, like she's in a Moliere play. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and she just happens to be Seaweed's mom. Yeah. So when she goes over to the record store to right. have the platter party, she yes. meets the whole family. Oh, you're Motormouth Maybell, yeah. They get a plan to integrate the Corny Collins show. And there's that really fun moment where Tracy's like, okay, here's what's going to happen. You guys go into the studio, and my mom and I will come behind you and block the doorway so that if they want to push you out, they can't. <laughs> and I love that because it's funny, but also it's it's kind of saying, like, you don't need me. I'm not going to be some sort of savior. We're just here for backup, and the fact that we're, you know, plus size actually has some benefits. Uh, But in order to get Tracy's plan working, they do need to convince Edna that she's good enough to participate, yeah, once again. And so Motormouth is the one who convinces her of it by singing, Big Blonde! Yes! Yes! Now, who were the different motor mouths that you worked with? Because, I mean, all of them had as big personalities as their voices. Absolutely. I mean, Mary Bond, yeah, one of a kind. On the road, um, it was Charlotte Crosley. <laughs> Actually, in Sister Act, was one of the background <gasps> singers for... With uh, Jennifer for, Lewis? Yes, yes. And then Jennifer oh Lewis. Yeah, they're all, they're all in the, like, the Mark Shaman club. <laughs> it's like That's so crazy. Family. But Jennifer Lewis, I have met many a time in shows that she's come to. And every single time is like <laughs> epic. I'm just like, I just want to video the whole thing. Just like, keep talking. You're just. There was one AIDS walk uh, that I did. They had Jennifer Lewis there as like, like six in the morning, ready oh to, you know, Woo. send everybody on their way. Wow. And she walks up to the microphone and we all like applaud. And she goes, you better clap louder than that. I'm the original dream girl, and I didn't take my bipolar medication this morning. <laughs> Sounds exactly like her. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Hilarious. too funny. It's spectacular. Well, the good news is, is that their plan works. Yes. Right? It does. They, they invade the dance studio. Get on TV. There's a bit of a protest. Unfortunately, the protest turns ugly when the police right. are called. Right. And everybody, literally everybody, gets sent to the jail. The jail. Act one ended. Ended. Do-do-do. Okay, so we are now at intermission, or as non-theater people call it, uh, halftime. So what we're going to do is invite a listener to talk with us, Sabrina. Jonathan, help me out, dude. I'm sorry. Chisholm? Yes. Do you say the L? Chisholm. Yeah. Or is it just kind of like, it's just there? You know, I've just, I've been saying it for so long, I don't really think about it. (laughs) The L's there, but you don't think about it. I love it. I'm more issues with how people spell my name than how they pronounce it more often than not. Fair enough. You got the two A's. And then you got the hidden L. Yeah. I get it. It's a lot. Um, everybody, it's uh, it's listener extraordinaire, Jonathan Chisholm. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. So happy that uh, there's somebody out there listening to this show. <laughs> <laughs>
I believe that you are an actor as well, right? And you've done productions of Hairspray? I did. I did a production of Hairspray seven years ago while I was still in college. Yes, college mm-hmm. production. Yes. Or wait, it wasn't a college production. It was while you were in college. Yes, it was. Uh, I got permission to do it at the community theater where I, um, where I basically got my start. And I was a much, so much, sweet. much too young Edna. Ah, amazing. (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, What do you love about the show? I love the show. I I found the show at um, the right time in my life. You know, I was an overweight. I still am overweight, but I was more overweight kid as a teenager. And when you find the show that's so empowering about, you know, body positivity and all those sort of things, uh, when you're a teenager, um, it really becomes like a... It really became like an anthem to me, the whole show, just kind of like, yes, you know, I can do this too. As, you know, as somebody who's started doing theater at like 10 and then has been doing it since then, it really has always been the show that I go back to to be like, yeah, I can be in these shows too. <laughs> Aww, that's fantastic. And I then, of course, the, all the, um, the civil rights issues, you know, when I started really learning more about the show, of course, that became something that I really invested in as well. I'm not sure that there is another show that is as enjoyable as it is educational and subversive all at the same time. Literally anyone can enjoy this, and yet we can all learn something from it as well. Absolutely. Jonathan, do you have any questions for our wonderful guest, Miss Sabrina Sloan? Yes. I, Sabrina, um, hi, first of all. Hi, Jonathan. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to know, uh, you did the national tour, is that correct? I did the first national tour after I did the original Broadway company, but I joined okay. them. I joined them about a month into the after opening. Oh, okay, awesome. So being in the Broadway company and then in the first national tour, I, what is your favorite moment in the show? Whether it's one you perform or one you got to see every night. I I think my favorite. It's probably my favorite song and my favorite moment in the show is "Without Love." And yeah. it's because it's just so much fun. I don't know. The, I mean, it was one of my favorite songs to sing because it's sort of like this gospely, you know, like mix of everybody's coming together and it's all it's all love. You know, it's all this moment of everybody, you know, seeing the fruits of like the labor that they went through and the, you know, everybody's getting with their with their person. And um, also we're Were in these. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, were you one of the silhouettes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's the most amazing part. I mean, like, I I thought that was the most fantastic thing when I saw the show, too, when I was watching the show and I was trailing, watching those silhouettes and the shadows. And I was Mm. like, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like that. And so getting to do that, I put everything into those silhouettes. I mean, you think, like, (laughs) you could just slack off behind. Nobody sees your face or anything. But I was like, without love, who? And I was doing everything, just giving it. And that was the thing. You You could really just, like be yourself in that moment and just sing for, you know, the gods and like, and you knew what was happening outstage and you knew that was going to, you know, the audience was going to go crazy over that. But, but it just was such a great kind of like unifying moment. Um, My other probably favorite moment is, um, and I know where I've been, you know, and just like the, it was, you know, my Broadway debut, my first Broadway show. And I was on stage with, all black actors like, singing this incredible, you know, anthem and and moving song with Mary Bond, just like you know, mm. just her her voice is just so powerful. Her voice and is everything. It is everything, and 
just looking around and and knowing this was my this was the beginning of of my Broadway career and journey and it was something I never experienced not in college you know not in any theater I'd done before being on stage and looking around and seeing all of these um, faces of color taking the stage in that moment and and telling our story because it is a story about so many things I mean it's you know like you said body image and cultural diversity and so so much so yeah I say I say those are a couple of my favorite moments if you're gonna have two moments man yeah those I, I loved them those are I fantastic yeah I'm really excited to talk about the second act with you because there's a lot there and some really interesting choices that the team made as Mm -hmm. writers Mm -hmm. that feel incredibly traditional. And then when you look at it, not traditional at all when it comes to musical theater. Right. I'll be excited to listen. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. It's really, it's, I I feel, I mean, it has such a special place in my heart because it was my debut, but also it really set a precedent and a standard for, you know, what I would go on to do. And um, I've been really lucky to be a part of shows that kind of continually meet that that bar of of changing things and being new and and being meaningful. So, yeah, that's great. I'm lucky. Cool. Jonathan, anything else you want to talk about um, while you're here? Were you one of the dynamites? Yes. Yes. So, uh, so <laughs> and which a- riff were you? <laughs> <laughs> I was Pearl. They call it. I, I don't know if you know the name. These. I don't know if that's common knowledge. Like the names yeah, that were. Yeah, it's in the script. It is, oh, it's, it's in, in the, the script. script. It is in the script. Uh-huh. I can't remember. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so when I joined, um, actually, Shana Steele was uh, had a knee injury that was um, like pretty dramatic, and she was going to be out pretty quick. So um, that's what I did. I did. That's the, amazing. I did the Shana Steele Pearl track, the Wailing Riffs. The whaling one, like that's the, the third one, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, there. that's there. so fun. Have you seen? There's like a YouTube video of like a, a Welcome to the '60s reprise fail. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh, it's the sweetest no. thing. I oh, love it so much. No, and and I I don't talk about these things to like make fun of performers, but just because like it's so endearing to Aww. me to like have these idols to look up to like you, yeah. right? Who are just wailing yeah. and you're oh and and gosh. so on the inside you are doing it. <laughs> But then on the outside, mm-mm. oh gosh, oh, it's my so goodness. great. But we all we all have those moments. We all have. Those we all have our inner <laughs> Sabrina Sloan that just wants to come out. But oh, anybody's so guess funny. what it's going to sound like. Oh my gosh, Jonathan! Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank y'all for having me. It was Yay, so much fun. Of course, of course. Thank you for listening and uh, for carrying on the torch of musical theater nerddom everywhere absolutely um really fast do you want to share any of your uh, social media stuff so people can connect with you sure uh, i'm at js chisholm 22 on everything so so twitter instagram everything all right so act two begins and we're in the penitentiary the women's penitentiary one thing that we haven't talked about is there are these two characters in the show the male authority figure and the female oh, authority figure. God, Jackie which are just, Hoffman. Just, oh my gosh! Come on, I mean, is there anybody funnier in the world? I'm not sure. I haven't found anybody. No, like, and just these zingers, but like, not just the delivery of the lines. Her faces <laughs> and her physical comedy is insane. <sighs> just insane. 
so each one of these characters, like the the male does all the, you know, the man does all the male and the, extra, the woman yeah. does all the female extra yeah. characters. So like Jackie Hoffman was the original female. How many does she do? She does like the gym teacher, the women's penitentiary. Penny's mom. Penny's mom, right. It's probably those, like, like those, those are the three, three main ones. Yeah, those are the three yeah? main ones. The, yeah, I think that's Talk it. about like just coming on stage in, oh you know, gosh. long enough to steal it and then you yeah. walk off. And then you walk off. And some of the stuff she would say in detention. Oh my God. Like I can't even think of anything, <laughs> but I can just say think it out of being loud. like, yes, but just being like, <gasps> even these songs that seem like they could be throwaways are fantastic. Big Dollhouse, hilarious. Totally. Lyrically, so funny and clever. Yes, yeah, so clever. So, so clever. Uh, I remember, like, I would say this, if I had to pick a least favorite <laughs> song in the show, this might be it only because of, and I'm really usually, like, very on top of it, but, it t- like, it took a while to get some of those, like, chromatic, like, notes in there where I was, like, on top of somebody else. But Just, like, big, super crunchy. Yeah, super crunchy. But more than that, it was these bars, these <gasps> jail bars that were so confusing. <laughs> so literally every set of bars could be picked up and moved and, oh, you, no. they, and you would move them and bring them together into formation um, throughout the tap number. So you're also, you know, tapping around, oh, but of you're, course. you have to, so as a swing, I have to get the right bars every time. And like, there were times that was like one of the things where I was like, Ugh! and cause <laughs> you can't like grab the one or you grab somebody else's. And then, you know, it's not like the whole thing falls apart, but it's very confusing. And everybody, you know, the entire intermission you you, yes, you spent Yes, exactly. Cramming. And I'd be like, okay, big dollhouse. I have to get ready. To exactly. <laughs> that was like my scary number. But um, but it's super funny. I loved watching that number. I loved watching that number. I also love that Velma is like, how shall I say, a whore. Yes! Totally. <laughs> um, like even earlier... Is it Corny has a headache or something? No, no. The guy who own who owns the hairspray who who oh. basically pays for the show yes, has for the like show. a headache um, because of how progressive everything is becoming. Yes, and so she's right. like, "I have a bed in my office." <laughs> yes, exactly. You're like, how did? Why do you have a bed in your office? And then that line in this number where yeah, one of the other hookers is like, "Don't I?" Like, wait a second. Don't we know each other? She's like, "I have no idea what you're talking about." So they, how do they get out of jail? <laughs> so basically, Wilbur and Edna oh, had to them. bail everyone yes, out, yes, right? Yes, yes, that's right. Which which means that now Wilbur's going to lose his his joke, joke shop. Joke shop, yeah. Which is so sad. That's so sad. Dickotessa's um, whole name thing. Oh. <laughs> And like, what a Sweetheart. what a beautiful character because he's the yeah. one who believes in his daughter. He's yeah. the one who's like, you got to follow your dreams. I yeah. did mine. I know it's just a a sofa sized whoopee cushion, but you got to do it. It makes me happy. Yeah, you exactly. Know? And so then to see that he has to, you know, essentially sell his dream in order to get them out. Yeah. And um, Edna and Wilbur have this really great moment of no. connecting in the song called "You're Timeless to Me," which just has so much heart and so yes. much. Uh, like old school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the 60s, this would have been a Julie Stein song in right, right, right. Bells Are Ringing. Yes, you know? yes, totally. I'm just reading in this. I mean, this is a really great um, <laughs> book, this Harris Bay Roots book. And there's just comments yeah. all throughout. Sure. The little Shabbat Shalom lyric that they put in there. It says the Shabbat Shalom lyric is probably the best non sequitur joke we'll ever get in a song. <laughs> You should have heard the crickets in Seattle after this line. <laughs> but, but, oy, do the New York matinee crowds love it. 
So, so funny. Yes. You, do you know that Mark Shaman worked on Mariah Carey's second Christmas album? What? Yeah, he wrote a couple of those songs. And that makes sense. Yeah. And I remember seeing a video of Mariah saying that, look, Mark Shaman's Jewish. I had to explain to him the whole thing about baby Jesus when he came to work on my album. Which I don't know if it's that if that's true, but just the oh idea that like the Mariah shame. Carey Mariah is the Carey ambassador is of Jesus. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Doing her missionary oh work, I guess. Oh my gosh! Why is Tracy still in in prison? Amber and Velma are released through their powerful connections. Wilbur shows up to post bail for everyone else. He's mortgaged the Hardy Har Hut. The powerful Velmas made sure Tracy will be held in solitary confinement. Until after the Miss Hairspray contest. Oh, so that's a Velma thing. Undermines it somehow. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Thank you. I didn't know because I was like, yeah, how does, why does she stay there? So she's in solitary confinement. (laughs) Right. Enter Link, who's going to, who's going to save her because he's realized that he's truly in love. And this is your favorite song. Yes, this is my favorite song. I love that he uses a blowtorch made out of hairspray and like a lighter. Yes. Like how how cute is that? Oh, cool. And in another kind of split screen, split stage moment, we got Link and Tracy and then we got Seaweed and Penny, much to her mother's disdain. And then we got all you gorgeous silhouettes in the back. I always love that if you look really closely, one of the silhouettes is a boy, but he's still hitting it just as hard and fiercely as everybody else. And there were absolutely times when a male swing would put on a wig and a skirt. And And I'm sure they were thrilled. Oh, gosh. It was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. After Without Love... The, the couples go, like, seek refuge at the record right. shop with right. Motormouth Mabel. Motormouth. Yeah. And this is a really interesting moment because this is the moment where they've been kicked down and mm-hmm. told that change isn't happening. It's not right. going to happen. And in any other musical, Tracy would now stand up and deliver the 11 o'clock number. That's to it. get everybody right. up and going. And instead, right. Right. it's Motormouth. Yep. Who sings I Know Where I've Been, which is this amazing... I mean, I... Whenever I hear this song, I like start seeing a, a Martin Luther King like slideshow in my brain. You right. know, a beautiful one. <clears throat> the writers really received a lot of pushback about this song, really? that it, they felt it was too preachy, mm. that it was taking a moment away from the heroine, mm. and they basically said, "What is more Tracy than giving the eleven o'clock number to Motormouth?" Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. and I, that just gives me chills thinking about it. Yeah, totally. How beautiful. That's amazing. So now it's the day of the hairspray competition. Yes. And Corny Collins starts the whole show with it's hairspray. Yes. So the competition is is going. Amber decides to do a song dedicated to Tracy, who's not yes. there, and yes. who is also her greatest competition for being crowned right. Right. Miss Teen Hairspray. Yes. So she sings Cooties. Cooties. She's got cooties. Hilarious. Where are you at this point? And are you getting ready to... I am getting ready for the big... The big reveal? The big reveal, yes. Yeah, so make sure you get your protein bar in or whatever before you... (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you took the Red Bull in the middle of Act 2. exactly. That's it. That's it. That number could be, like, if you were tired, it could be like, all right. I'm sure. Here we go. But but for the most part, you're like, we're almost at the end. Yeah, right? Sprint to the end. Yeah, sprint to the end. 
plot-wise, this huge hairspray bottle has yes. been brought into the studio yes. from Wilbur. Right. And Velma recognizes him as Tracy's dad. Yeah. So she's like, I don't trust this. Let's get the guards in to, to guard this whole thing. And yes. she calls in, you know, the guards from outside. Right. Little right. does she know, the guards are Motormouth Link. Yep. Yep. Like all of her, you know, enemies. Oh, and inside the hairspray bottle is, is Edna. Edna. And thus begins the longest closing number of, <laughs> of the musical longest. theater history. The longest. Exactly. Even if you wanted to stop the beat, you can't no, stop the mother F and beat. Stop the mother <laughs> The beat goes on and on and on. Everybody's oh got a verse and Everyone I don't care. Close. As a as an audience member, I wanted to keep going and going and going. I never get tired of this number. It's so great, it and I I feel bad for the performers, but man, it it's right. awesome. It kept us it kept us nice and fit. Um, <laughs> so so much fun, yeah. Thus brings about the total integration of the Corny Collins show. Yes. N- not only that, they offer a way back for Velma and Amber. Yes. Who you know have a change of heart in a. Split second. They do. <laughs> they see but the light. And I then... <laughs> think it's. I think it's really important, though, especially in in cancel culture. You're you know, right, right. Right. we don't really create a way back for people for to sure. change their minds. For sure. And as musical theater as it is, they right. they change their minds in this number. Which how can you not the beat the beat Come on. the beat? <laughs> it will make you change. You can't your stop it. Oh my god. But it's a it's a fantastic number, and that's how the show ends so on great. this high note, as so though high. like there weren't any high notes with, in the rest with, of the show. With high hair. With oh my just gosh! The all the high. hair. Yeah, I mean ours were not that bad, but those girls, those nicest kids girls, there was a lot of cases of the physical therapist that we would have would mostly focus on neck injuries <laughs> like, because of those wigs. From, yes. Oh my yes. gosh! Just like the general like whiplash and just. Just tension from holding that hair. <laughs> That's hair. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, I think that we may be at a place right now where we have done Hairspray and seen Hairspray so much. But I really do believe that this is a new classic, a show that will stand the test of time. I know that generations and generations will keep enjoying this show. I think I think it is. I think it's timeless for sure. Um, it's, it's timeless, timeless to, you. to me. Um, <laughs> it's it's a great piece, and like with with anything, I think you can always find what could have been done differently, or you know, maybe there would be more people of color in the creative mm-hmm. room, you know. Um, yeah. But for what it was, and all the intentions, and the music, uh, and the story standing on their own, I think are pretty incredible, and will continue to be enjoyed by people for many years to come. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at a musicalpodcast at gmail.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you might be listening to it. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at a musical podcast for more great content. Sabrina, how do we follow you and everything you're up to? I'm on Instagram occasionally at Sabrina Sloan NYC. I'll definitely listen to more musical theater podcasts. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. So fun this. to talk You've, to you. Oh, no, this is great. We're like recording this on a Thursday and it's going to be released on Sunday because 
I was so excited about the thought of having you on the show to to do this episode. So Yay. thank you for making time because it, it uh, I w- I'm just thrilled that you're here. Oh, thank you so much. It was a, it was a pleasure. And everybody out there, you can't stop the beat. <laughs> you can't stop the beat. You can't do it. <laughs> Never. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.